welcome to The Worst Bestsellers, where we read about compliant women so you don't have to. I'm Kate. And I'm Renata. And for this episode, we read Having It All, Love, Success, Sex, Money, Even If You're Starting With Nothing, by Helen Gurley Brown. Joining us to discuss this extended magazine for Mouseburgers is comic book and television writer Kelly Sue. Hi. Hi, Kelly Hi, Sue. Hi, thank you for joining us. Yeah, thank you for having me. And We're also, only a sorry. Little bit resentful that you made us read this book. <laughs> yeah, you know, you're welcome. Uh by the way, just in case you are confused by that modest introduction, uh, it's Kelly Sue DeConnick, com- writer of such comic books as Bitch Planet, which I'm sure you've heard about because we recommend it like every episode here on our podcast. Um, Captain Marvel, obviously, Pretty Deadly, uh, a run on Avengers that I really liked, personally, and and other such things. I can Google and, it. Yeah, you can Google it. <laughs> But I just wanted to be clear up front. If you're like, oh, is th- is that just somebody named Kelly Sue? Or is it like the Kelly Sue? Yeah, it's the Kelly Sue. <laughs> Do you know there's another comic book writer named Kelly Sue? Oh, I feel I feel like she should have to just go by Kelly, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 like, I confess to... I, I understand she's a lovely human being. Um, David Walker knows her. Uh, but, like, I confess to being, like, kind of, like... Um, like that's her name, you know, I did she didn't like, she's not, that's her name. Her name is Kelly Sue Milano. Um, and like her Twitter handle is Kelly Sue says, and I'm like, jump back, bitch. Yeah. Yeah. You didn't say that. <laughs> it's really funny. I understand she's lovely though. I'm sure she's lovely. You hear? I'm sure she's super, super lovely. She, she probably could have it all if she read this book. <laughs> yes. She is probably a mouse burger. Oh God! So tell tell the people what the what the book is. So Kelly Sue, I don't the the book is a three hundred page issue of Cosmopolitan magazine with no pictures in it. Basically, mm-hmm. um, if you're not familiar with the name Helen Gurley Brown, you're like that sounds familiar. I don't know who that is. She she didn't found Cosmopolitan, but she was the editor in chief who turned it from like a forgotten magazine to the Cosmo that we know and tolerate today Tolerate. (laughs) the thing is so we're going to mock this book relentlessly Mm -hmm. and i think that that is fair but at the same time i think i think i'm older than both of you probably by like a lot yes uh Um, probably by like a decade but not a lot a lot okay time's a flat circle okay I, I think it is important to acknowledge that as 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 dated and destructive and destructive as we find this now, that the the sexual revolution was a really big and important part of second wave feminism and female autonomy. And even though it ended up kind of playing out in a way that we can argue about whether it was more or less destructive. Uh, Helen Gurley Brown was an important figure. Absolutely. And and Cosmo Magazine, for all of its wrongheadedness, was also a, a, a part of the sexual liberation. And uh, and and, there, and you can't separate that from advances that were made, um, particularly with reproductive rights. You know. Absolutely. So anyway, that said. Yeah, this book mostly has not aged well. Yeah. yeah. 
I definitely, I made a note in my notes that I kept trying to sort of put my head in that headspace of, like, now this is garbage, but the world always hasn't been this progressive. Uh, but it is very, it was very difficult for me to wrap my head around it. And I think part of that is, I will give Helen Gurley Brown this over John Gray, the author of Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. She acknowledges that there are queer people in the world, unlike John Gray, who is just like, there are only heterosexual men and women, and they come from two different planets and live in wells and caves. Mm-hmm. Helen mm-hmm. Gurley Brown does acknowledge that there are queer people in the world. She is incredibly dismissive of them, doesn't really mention gay women at all, you know, gay men she brings up a couple times yeah i mean i think helen also definitely she's assuming if you're reading cosmo if you're interested in this book like you're a young single woman a young single mouse burger which i promise we'll explain in a minute but until then i'm just gonna keep saying mouse burger um she you know I think she assumes that if you are a queer woman who does exist like you're probably not even gonna read this book and you shouldn't. You shouldn't unless you have to for a podcast. Yeah. And, like, I, I can understand that, but it is incredibly difficult for me to read books like this and Men Are From Mars and not, like, constantly have in the back of my head this refrain that, like, oh, the person who wrote this book does not give a shit about your existence on the planet. Oh, totally. Yeah. So that I was saying to Renata, we might um, we might try and do another like queer yelling corner bonus episode about this, but that would require me um, forcing other people to read it. So uh, it's up in the air right now, but I'm going to solicit some people on Twitter and see how open they would be to reading a little bit of this and then discussing it further with me from a queer perspective. Yeah. Which we did for our Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus episode. If you're not familiar, there's a bonus episode with just no straights allowed. (laughs) It's pretty good. And we are, if you haven't listened to Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus episode, if you don't know what that book is, like, I feel like we're going to keep referring to it a lot because this really does feel like the other side of that coin. You're probably at least vaguely familiar with it. It's like very rigidly heteronormative relationship advice that's been around for like 25 years and sucks yeah but back to this book that we're talking about now which is having it all uh yes it when did this come out 1983 82 82 yeah 1982 there's definitely a lot in here that i think uh as kelly sue was saying was definitely progressive at the time like she definitely talks about never wanting to have children and not believing that you need to have children to like be a complete person, which honestly still today is kind of a revolutionary thing to say. Mm-hmm. Um, she talks about like a lot of it obviously is about like wanting to have only heterosexual sex and also not wanting to have it, but agreeing to have it so that your man will stay with you. Um, but also um, that it's okay to want to have it and that, you know, masturbation is okay, and you should attempt to chase an orgasm if you can, but, you know, sometimes that's not going to happen because you have to please your man first, and he doesn't care enough to really think about pleasing you in the same way. 
Yeah. I, I have a, um, I, I read it as being much more pro-sex than, than you're reading. I mean, it's, yeah, it's pro, pro straight sex. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah I mean, it, she likes I mean, sex. That, that, we're, that caveat, we're going to make that caveat with every single page. Yeah. You, know? you should assume so, I mean, that caveat. Also the caveat, Helen Gurley Brown does know that, that gay and lesbian people exist. Not sure about bi people. No concept of like trans people or anybody who doesn't like fit her real idea of like a feminine female identity. So that's another caveat that we can't like just keep repeating, but kind of just assume it goes for this whole episode that like it's 1982 and she's Helen Gurley Brown. Yes. Um, but yeah, so it, it does, you know, I think Renata summed it up very well in that it does kind of read like a lot of Cosmo quizzes all put together, which isn't, uh, you know, we talk a lot on this show about not judging readers and not judging what people read and working very hard not to demonize things that especially women read uh, that are constantly maligned by the general public because women aren't allowed to have nice things. So it's not so much, I think, that, you know, it reads as if it's a collection of Cosmo quizzes that is the issue. More the actual writing, she is not a very good writer, and it is just, like, it is very hard in 2017 to put your head in the time period of 1982 and say, like, this is okay, when now it's really not. <laughs> the other thing I'll say about it, too, is, uh, I mean, it's maybe been a few years since I read the Cosmopolitan magazine, but, like, in high school and college, definitely, I, you know, I'd pick them up or a roommate would have them or whatever, and they're fun to flip through and this just made me appreciate I think a lot more the art of like magazine layout and you know you break it up with like pictures and a celebrity interview and you know and the quizzes and whatever and this is just straight through just black and white text 360 pages of only text going on and on and it doesn't have that kind of readability of a magazine but it's the same sort of content, just formatted much worse for a reading experience. And I, I kept thinking about um, something that uh, Mackenzie Lee said a couple, well, now it's a couple days ago. By the time you guys listen to this, it'll be a couple weeks ago, uh, at her book launch for Bygone Badass Broads, which was... Um, she had said that she never thought someone would let her write a nonfiction book because she writes nonfiction in the same conversational style that she talks. And she didn't think anyone would ever buy a book like that. So it was very pleasantly surprising that someone did. And I, I, I keep wondering if perhaps, and maybe you can speak to this, Kelly Sue, if part of why it was such a struggle to read the prose in this is because perhaps Helen Gurley Brown was attempting to write it or was perhaps successfully writing it in a more conversational style just from 25 years ago when the conversational style is very different than it is now. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, again, I think there might be an age disconnect here. I'm 47 and I, I, I don't actually, I did not find it particularly difficult to read. Um, I mean, like, set my brain on fire with some mm -hmm. of the, 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 what was 
what was progressive at the time, you know, like that, this, that, that sort of thing that we're talking about. But like, I found her, I found her to be very conversational. I'm also familiar with how Helen Gurley Brown talks. Like I remember, I remember when she was on television, you know, so yeah, she does. She starts this book off with like a humble brag about going to be on the Tonight Show, but feeling awkward about it. So she's relatable, and I that is a disconnect for me. In that I knew who Helen Gurley Brown was from like feminist history classes, but I think by the time I was at all like kind of aware of a greater pop culture world, I don't think she was really doing that anymore. I think yeah, no, she was on TV all the time when I was growing up, uh, and my mother loved her. And I read this book when I was in high school, you know, so, um, there's, so it's, it's, it, we're coming at it from like two wildly different perspectives. Um, I think, you know, we both think it's garbage and no one should live according to (laughs) this advice, but, um, but, uh, uh, it's, it's much harder for me to, I don't know, demonize her. That's fair. That's certainly fair. So do we want to go through, we keep talking about this advice that you shouldn't live by. Do we want to yeah. go through and outline what some of that advice that you shouldn't live by is so you'll know not to live by it? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, usually here we kind of will summarize a plot. This, of course, does not have a plot. It's just it's just magazine advice columns stacked together. But she does break her, her advice out into kind of thematic chapters. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the thrust of it is that... In order to be successful, you need to be successful in work and in love and that these are the two most important things in the world. And uh, as a woman in our culture, you're going to be judged primarily um, by what you look like. But don't sweat it. If you're not a born beauty, you can still make it. That's kind of the thrust. Yes. And uh, and if you're not a born beauty, you might be a mouse burger. And, right. And this is a word, like, I, I already said it a bunch of times. She uses it so many times in this book, and it kind of lost all meaning to me, if it ever had any. And I think it means something differently f- from what, just, like, Mouse Burger, when I hear that, it seems, I think of just, like, Mouse, like, sort of meek and shy. And I think she's using it to mean something kind of more like, like a like an awkward, relatable, like, like I think like Jennifer Lawrence is a mouse burger, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. So she, she has a test of like, are you a mouse burger? We should go through the test. Cause that's, it's sort of defined by the qualities uh, of like, if you respond to these, I, does she say like, you have to get so many yeses to be a mouse burger? Or yeah. Is it just... If you get and uh, I'll, we're going to read this whole thing at the end when I do our dramatic reading so you can get the full dose of it. But there are all these vague statements. And if you get at least five of them, then she can help you. And if you say true to at least 10 of them, then you are a mouse burger. But mm, they're okay. all these sort of like vague. They're almost like a Zen, like koan, like you, you are, you do, you work hard, but you're not always recognized for your work, but you'd like to be recognized for your work, but you don't always work the most hard. It's like yeah. a bunch of stuff kind of like that, where you're like, yeah, probably that's true for me. I don't know. It could be. Sure. The funniest thing is, I think, to go through and, and th- so like a magazine, it's, it's written in these small, I, I actually think this is very modern, to be honest with you, that 
um, it's it's kind of before its time. It's written in these small paragraphs with headlines, right? The whole book is, yeah. um, which is very blog like. Yeah. Um, uh, it's like a, it's like, I don't know, bad Buzzfeed in a book. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the funniest thing is to go through and read all of these headlines and that, that can kind of, that kind of gets the, like, I, I'm just opening to a random page and we'll get the flavor of it here. Um, uh, do it this minute or at least this day. Your ability to make good decisions about little things will become an important asset. Although you're aggressive on the inside, it doesn't necessarily show. The way to dress for an office is pretty. <laughs> Expect to, ha to continue to have some general pain and trouble nearly every day of your life. <laughs> Seems fair, actually. Um, I have uh, that as a tattoo. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Greeting somebody frontally is highly effective. Places to make love. Alcohol and sex do mix. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, sure ways to please a man. The long or maybe not so long road back. Uh, the married man. Lightly does it. Uh, what's the food chapter? There's good ones in there. Oh, boy. You know, it's funny, and you're you're saying this is like BuzzFeed, but I feel like BuzzFeed is just like a magazine turned into a website. So like mm -hmm. we're we've all just gone circular with with <laughs> these catchy headlines. <laughs> yeah, but this is um, but this is like this is this was 1982, right? Yeah, books weren't made like this, right? No, it it is definitely. I mean. And like it's definitely books, like a bunch of magazines, you know, it, like this wasn't the first like life advice books. This wasn't even the first how to girl, you know, there've been how to girl manuals for fucking ever. Um, this is just a, a how to girl that includes how to fuck. Yeah. Uh, which is, again, as backwards as it is, it's it's actually fucking progressive. Right. Um, and I realize like I, I realize how well, I can't realize how deeply uh, hurtful it is that it doesn't recognize or validate non-heterosexual identities at all because that's not how I identify. So I can't pretend to to understand what that feels like. Uh, so so I, I I apologize if it sounds like I'm making light of that. It's not my intention at all. I, I'm just saying that the fact that this acknowledges and even celebrates even heterosexual sex is like a record scratch. And it, yeah. I mean, it doesn't sound at all like you're making light of it. And this is, I think, part of why we like to talk to different people about these books, because mm -hmm. this is a perspective that obviously we don't have. And it is, you know, like we said, it's hard sometimes, you know, we're, we're very lucky that at least some of these battles were already won by the time that we were of the age to be aware of them. Right. And which is, you know, in a roundabout way, like the fact that she was doing these things and winning these fights is why we are now looking back and saying, like, this is garbage. Right. So it's all time is a flat circle. Yes. <laughs> right. um, yeah. And and also going going along with this, uh, you know, being 
being progressive. There's an article that we'll link to that I found when I was Googling Helen Gurley Brown. And it's actually an interview with uh, Brooke Hauser, who wrote a biography of Helen Gurley Brown. And she shares this anecdote where she, for research, was like reading all these old issues of Cosmo and Gloria Steinem is in it. Like, uh, pretty sexy. And then like in her, in her Cosmo photo. And so Helen Gurley Brown, no, sorry. Brooke Hauser interviewed Gloria Steinem to ask about this. Like, you are in Cosmo, what's up with that? And Gloria Steinem, in her quote, said, This is a situation in which I was a mouse burger. So, like, really? Yes. So, like, wow. A, kind of disavowing having done Cosmo, but also she knew the word mouse burger. Like, that's also, it. Gloria Steinem was a fucking Playboy bunny, all right? Undercover. <laughs> For yeah, research. but still. No, I know, I know. <laughs> like they didn't. They would not let me go undercover as a Playboy bunny. All right. Like, you know what, do you know what I mean? Like, you you have to pass. Uh, yeah, to be no. Able to she was a regulation hottie. Yeah. Wow. And a mouse burger. That so that leads me back. So was mouse burger a thing that people were saying in the eighties? Like, how far did uh, this thing go? I only knew the word from this book, and this book was passed around. Uh, because it had instructions on how to give a blowjob. Oh, it sure does. Yeah. And, you know, and I mean, like, and as I, you know, as young, squirrely, pubescent girls, it, it had all, you know, we were like trying to figure out is there a manual for like how to win this fucking game that seems to be stacked up against us, you know? So, yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure my original copy of this book was annotated as well you know I, I think what's fascinating now is to like hilariously it's not that I don't think these things work I think they're just like don't do that you know like it's like what's oh, inher- that's inherently dishonest and also you don't need disapproval um you know like that's that's the the funny thing is I I don't I don't argue with the, the like success of the Machiavellianness of uh, most of this advice. I'm like, oh no, that probably work. Um, uh, uh, like, sure ways to please a man. Compliment him a lot. You almost can't overdo it. Yes. Okay, that sound fucking advice. Let's be honest. Yeah. So um. this, this, and and uh, men are from Mars. Both. It. They have this advice about how to like manage men that seems <laughs> like so condescending to men and so like patronizing like just say whatever bullshit compliment he'll like it he just needs to hear it but also yeah yeah, it's true it's like mostly true yeah it's it's heinous and dehumanizing and bad for us as a species but it would probably work right um so that that does take us into chapter two which is how to mouse burger your way to the top because mouse burger is also a verb fyi Ooh. Ooh. Um, and it, it seems as a verb, it seems to mean like working hard and maybe in a sort of like crafty scheming sort of way. Yeah. 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 Machiavellian. Yeah. Like keeps popping to my head. Yeah. Um, uh, although kind of in this chapter, mostly by working your way to the top it is talking it is the chapter that for whatever reason is mostly about work but it's not called work the way that all the other chapters are called diet and clothes and sex and financial advice yeah and like some of her like there's 
there's some not shitty stuff in there too. Like, you know. Yeah. Well, and some of her work, you know, some of her work advice, especially when she talks about, um, if you have children, it's sort of still the same advice or same things that people need to acknowledge now that like, if you have children and you work, like probably you should get a nanny or uh, God, if she says something like, or maybe your husband will help, but probably he won't. Yeah. And there's a lot in here too about like, you know, don't be a snob about working as a secretary. Don't stress out if you don't have a college degree. Like, right, yeah. don't stress out if you're in a job that you hate and you want to leave it and go do another job. And, you know, it might take you a long time to find a thing that you really want to do. And don't worry about it. Like, it'll happen eventually. Yeah. Which is all good advice. Or actual loneliness is an integral part of your growth. (laughs) We can all agree. But then she goes goes throughout the rest of the book, actually, to, like, say, no, no, no. Don't do that. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So, oh, also, she, there are two other things that I want to especially highlight of this chapter. One okay. is she talks about when she was late in the Cosmo offices and she was hungry and there was no food. She just started going through her employees' desks and she found a <laughs> box of raisins and stole them. And then the <laughs> next day she went to the employee and was like, hey, I, t- I took your raisins last night. I'm sorry. And the employee was like, yeah, I want to eat those. I'm hungry. And Helen was like, okay, I'll get you more raisins. And the employee was like, good, because I'm hungry. And Helen is so mad about it. And she's like, if she had just like been friendly about it and joked, that would have been like really good for her advancement at work like I'm her boss and she should have been nice about it. I'm like but also you're her boss and you stole her raisins <laughs> uh, and then you put it in your book like it was a thing that didn't make you look bad what <laughs> and then she also talks about like sexual harassment how like if you're a woman like a man might sexually harass you and people might might not take it seriously um which still still happening to this day, obviously. But her advice is that it's not worth your time to sue and you should just quit your job and find another job if that's happening to you. Yeah. Which, again, I mean, in the strictly, like, clinical way, like, or, you know, strictly technically, she's probably right because probably that lawsuit, like, isn't going to get off the ground, especially in, you know, 1982. No, that, but, was, that was good advice, but it's just fucking sad and wrong yeah exactly yeah um and 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 so like oh my god we're so sick but like culturally we're just ill you know like that you would put that in writing and we'd all be like yep yep that's right you know all right so that's the work chapter anything else you want to shout out about the work chapter I wanted to like this, this, I can't tell if this is one person has annotated this book using several different pens and pencils or if like multiple people have annotated this book. It could be a cool like collaborative document or maybe it's like a diary of Tom Riddle situation. Yeah. So uh, Kelly, Sue, do you have any good like Tom Riddle notes in your book from that chapter or should we move on to diet? Diet is like, it's, um, It's breaking my heart, actually. I want to find this person who read this and underlined this and put an exclamation point in the margin, and I want to hug them and make them spaghetti. Mm -hmm. Um, They they underlined, it is unthinkable that a woman bent on having it all would want to be fat or even plump. Yeah. And and the whole chapter has this very, like, tough love friend kind of tone. Like, let's be real. Nobody wants to be fat, right? So here's what you do. Uh, do, You know, you'll never be... 
happy or full. You can never eat good food again. But just deal with it. That's that's the cost of being thin. Don't worry about it. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, so I was reading it, and I was like, uh, garbage, garbage. But technically accurate weight loss advice. Uh, like, But then I yeah, was... It's crazy. If you starve yourself, you're going to lose weight. Right, exactly. If you starve yourself and work literally every day, except for the day that your mom dies and the day you have a DNC, uh, then, yeah, you'll probably stay thin. Uh, yeah. When I was Googling Helen Gurley Brown, a lot of things came up just talking about her undiagnosed raging eating disorder. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's what this is. Yeah. That's what this is. Yeah. Which is, um, it's like, sad. Yeah. And it's just, like, I just, it's so, food is so good. It's... Why, I, I just want to feed people. I just, it, yeah. it just, it's very sad. Yeah. That you would live your life like this. No, and it, it is fascinating, though, that, how much and and again and I'm I keep bringing up our age difference as though it were a hundred years and I, <laughs> I, I, tell, I tell us a wise one. No, <laughs> what I was it like that. in the before times? But I don't think you're. Uh, do, do you consider yourselves millennials? Are you millennials? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I don't. I don't think millennials do this as much as my generation does and the, and the generation above us even more so. Um, but there's like a uh, strategy for bonding uh, with women that involves like shared body hatred. Oh, for sure. That's like every day in the break room at my job, at, a, at every job I've ever had. Yeah. And um, it's like this thing where it's a way to like signal – uh, oh, we, I'm friendly. We can be friends. I'm not a threat to you. Is this like, let me talk about how unhappy I am with my body and you and I can bond over this. Yeah. L- oh, there's there's cake in the break room. We're so bad. I'm just going to yeah. have half a piece, but I'm still pretty bad. <laughs> yeah, I. it's something that I, I was thinking about recently and I can't remember what brought it on, but like my mom, my mom's fat too. You know, not a surprise to anyone who's ever obviously met me or her. Um, And she is like, it is, it is one of those things where, you know, it's very important to her and her friends and her sisters. And it is just, they're constantly talking about their bodies and losing weight and all this. And I'm like, just, and my mom has a whole bunch of other, there's a, whole other thing that we won't even get into there. She hasn't listened to the show, so it's fine. <laughs> but <laughs> it is something that, like, vaguely fascinates me now as an adult when I'm, like, home for whatever reason and listening to her on the phone with people and, like, just, like, the amount of energy you must expend to think and feel like that all the time. Like, it's sad. Yeah. I have so many other reasons to hate myself. I can't hate myself about that. It would be exhausting. Uh, It's, you know, it's, it is a, um, it is a thing uh, that I find is so programmed into me that uh, I'm very conscious about trying not to do it. um, And particularly trying not to do it in front of my daughter. Mm -hmm. Because that is a, uh, you know, an inheritable illness I don't wish to pass on. 
but yeah, it's it it, it is insidious. Oh yeah, and I mean it, we're not very different. This chapter maybe is one that still it could could go into Cosmo today pretty much as is. Um, mm-hmm. There might be like one or two sentences thrown in to be like, oh, and also it's for your health. And Helen actually, I sort of in some fucked up way admire her like very blunt honesty that like people will say it's for your health, but like really you should be skinny so that like you'll be you'll have a hot body and like that's the most important thing actually is just to be skinny for your looks. Um, but also have a vitamin. Yeah. yeah, it is. It is all very just like matter of fact and upfront and like you want to lose weight. Here's the meals you should skip. Here's how you can like make a salad that is filling but won't actually gain you any weight. And here is the best way to like set up your skipped meals so that you don't feel hungry. And this is how you should exercise so that you'll stay skinny even if it's not healthy and you know like I I would agree Renata like there is certainly like a level of like that feels very gutsy to just go right out there and say like let's drop all the euphemism here yeah versus now I mean we we talk a lot or hear about the concept of concern trolling which is when you know, people say like, "Oh, you should you should lose weight because I'm I'm worried about your health." And oh, <laughs> are you sure you should be eating that? Like, shouldn't you have a salad that would be healthier? And the subtext is like exactly what Helen Gurley Brown is saying here. Like, you should be skinny so that I'll want to look at you. But now, yeah. now it's more veiled under another level of healthiness. This Which is the most has- heinous line I can I can like. Uh, uh, despite all the controversy about how to go about it and how terribly tough it is, dieting really is moral, sexy, and healthy. Yeah. I, that is, that is a feeling that has not gone away. Ask the fucking health detector yearly test at my work. That is like, you are obese and you need to work on that. Your depression scale is literally off the scale. It is a number that is past the numbers that we are giving you to grade yourself. But don't pay attention to that. Lose some weight. Wow. I work for a mental health insurance company. Yay. Oh my God. <laughs> uh. I will say Helen Gurley Brown very open about enjoying going or not enjoying, but like the importance of going to therapy and like you should go to therapy. Yeah. I was into that. I am a little worried about her taking 60 vitamins a day. (laughs) Yeah. What the fuck are you taking? Well, when your stomach gets so full of vitamin pills, then you don't have time to like think about the food you're not eating. (laughs) Vitamins actually do kind of upset my stomach. Maybe that's the trick. Jesus. Uh, all right. Um. So I mean, that's food. It's it's basically like an anorexia how-to. Although she is opposed to bulimia, she tells you not to force yourself to throw up. So fine. That's fun. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> um. The exercise chapter is next, and that's kind of more of the same. There's one. My one thing I want to especially highlight about the exercise chapter is throughout this, she's doing a lot of name dropping 
And mm-hmm. in the year 2018, a lot of it has lost its effectiveness because a lot of the people that she mentioned, like, having lunch with or whatever, I don't know who they are, but from context, I assume they were famous at this time. But right. she does say she follows workout tips that she got from Roy Scheider from Jaws, which I love. <laughs> I love Roy Scheider, okay. <clears throat> which, Here, she like- talks about Jaws a lot, and I finally realized her husband was a producer of Jaws or something like that. Yeah, Oh my god, that's so funny. You know, in in I told you I had the audiobook. In the audiobook, she she is I don't know what year the audiobook was made, but she's replaced some of the names of celebrities. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, so like um in the audiobook, I, she I can't she there's oh my god, I can't remember who it was, but it's somebody whose whose fame clearly didn't last and she replaces them with Madonna. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> well, sure. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Uh, exercise. um, Yeah, exercise, like, just do it every day so you'll be skinny. Even if you're sick, even if you're on your period, it's okay, it's safe, you can still exercise then. Which, I mean, again, that's another thing, actually. She does specifically say it's okay to work out when you're menstruating, which I know for a a long time in in social history that was not considered something you should do. So, again, that's... And and it's still, it still is sort of progressive to even just mention that you menstruate at all. So again, that's cool. True. Yeah. And and like when I was pregnant, um, I wanted to fucking kill people who would not let me lift or carry anything. Mm. Like it it was, um, I, I snapped at relatives on more than one occasion. There, There is this real, um, it, it uh, like as though you are infirmed um, and as though like you're not equipped to make the best choices for your body. Um, so like, I remember I was weeding during pregnancy, like just out in the yard pulling weeds. It is a thing I enjoy. Mm-hmm. A- and like my, my mom had a cow about it. And like I, this, the level of fury I had about that as though while I was carrying this child, it was not for me to decide what my body was capable of. Right. Um, yeah. Ugh. Society kind of sucks for women. Have you guys ever noticed that? It's so crazy. Like, I never I really thought about it before. <laughs> we should write a book. <laughs> I, um, where are we? Let's see. We're in, uh, in exercise. Yeah, let's see Preparing what somebody to transition uh, into face and beauty unless you've got more exercise thoughts. Um, no. They they the reader of this book put a whole square around good posture is the best thing you can do to look better, like drew a big square around the whole thing and then interestingly, drew a hashtag, uh, which wasn't a hashtag, it was a pound sign at the time, but what a weird thing to market with. Huh. Maybe they were going to play tic tac toe and they never came back to it. <laughs> Funny. All right. Your face and beauty. One one thing that I loved is Helen tells a casual anecdote about, quote, a non-beautiful friend of mine. <laughs> what a, what a bitch. <laughs> I like that she has the prices of um, plastic surgery, too. Oh, yeah. it's it. I have no idea what it costs now, but surely more than, like, $4,000. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, five thousand was the top figure, and that was for a face and neck lift. On the bottom, like the the range for that, the low end of that was uh, fifteen hundred, which like that, wow, that was bargain shopping, right? 
Uh, the average, to... average age for a first facelift is 52. Okay. Coming up on it, guys. <laughs> I hope I hope you've got your 1500 saved up. Oh, yeah. In my hope chest. <laughs> uh, one thing I want to mention that I think first was mentioned in the Face and Beauty chapter is where Helen refers to all of her Siamese cats. And that was one of the most, one of my favorite parts, one of the things that made me like her the most. And especially... <laughs> That's yeah. shocking. I know. You can give any character a cat and I'll like them. It's true in the Marvel <laughs> Universe. It's true here. Um, and she talks about like her how her cat was so annoying and it would wake her up at 5 a.m. just yowling, which I, Duarte does that shit too. And then she talks about how after that cat died, she thought she would miss it, but actually... Uh, or she, that she wouldn't miss it because it was so annoying, but she did miss it anyway. And she uh, compares that to like, now I don't even remember what, like makeup or something, like something that she thinks is unpleasant. <laughs> but then when she doesn't put her makeup on, she misses it. I was obviously more worried about the cat than anything else that she had to say. <laughs> oh my God. At, at its core, at its best, I think what she's trying to do is kind of like, what not to wear style thing. Well, that's also in the clothes chapter, which are coming on. But that and like, um, you know, it, I don't know, well, Queer Eye or like RuPaul's Drag You, like the kind of like sort of more positive makeover shows where it's just like, do what makes you feel good. Like you'll feel good about yourself if you do this. And it just sort of highlights your own natural whatever. And, and I can get behind a certain amount of that kind of thing. Yeah, she talks about how, like, beauty beauty may fade, but, like, it's important still to, like, be sharp and be smart and to, like, have interests and character even more so, perhaps, than being pretty. Um, but but, but only because to... you weren't born pretty. Yes. Yeah. Not to not <laughs> to were put... born pretty, you don't have to worry about any of this. <laughs> she does say somewhere in here, maybe this chapter, that, like, if she could choose anything, like, if she could choose things, she would, like, trade anything for being pretty, or for being beautiful, rather. But she can't, so she's, like, doing the best she can. Yeah. yeah. Which is not, you know, not to say at all that she thinks that you don't have to be pretty, but she, you know, she does think if you're not pretty, you can still have a life and even get married. Yeah. Whew. Thank goodness. Yeah. Don't kill yourself, ladies. Uh, <laughs> My other favorite tip she has is that you should submerge your face in icy water every day to, like, tighten the skin or whatever. And she says she got a snorkel to do this. And just imagine, like, every morning you get up, you put a snorkel on your face, and you go just stick your face in a bowl of cold water. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds fun. That is a thing now. Not sticking your face in a a bowl of cold water with a snorkel, but I was... Looking, my, I keep having, like, skin reactions to different moisturizers and having to get rid of them and get a new one. And in my search for, like, what does a lazy person put on their face that their face won't be covered in hives and turn bright red? Rubbing your face with ice every morning is a thing now that people do. They make special tools for it. But also just, like, if you don't want the special tool, you just get an ice cube and you rub it on your face in the morning. Sure. so some things never change i guess yeah yeah yeah. and contouring is back (laughs) oh 
after after beauty, uh, she goes on to close where she says the thing that is perhaps the thing that I most related to in this book, which was not about cats, but that loving close too much is not a sin. Which thank <laughs> God, because I'd be in a lot of trouble. Well, her other piece of advice is you can actually wear almost anything unless you're fat. That's a yeah, direct so, quote. <laughs> real quick, I, I cooled off on that one. Yeah. But uh. I do appreciate that my clothes for its tendencies are not a sin. Whew. The undercurrent of like morality is fascinating. You know, especially like in her insistence that uh, that sex must be naughty, right? And, yeah. Uh, and the, and like her falling out with her therapist who was like, sex isn't naughty. You have to stop thinking of it as dirty. And she was like, you're taking all the fun out of it. Um, there's this like morality thing. Fascinating. Yeah, that's dirty, true. Not too dirty. Not yeah, because she does get in. She does engage in some mild kink shaming. Mm, yeah. But uh, all right, so I guess I feel like her clothes chapter, aside from being as fat shaming as the rest of this, it, it mostly seemed like basically fine advice. There's a lot of actually kind of detail oriented, like what not to wear type stuff. Of like every season, get a few simple pieces and like learn to accentuate like what you like and invest in a quality coat and just, you know, fine, yeah. fine advice. Or five quality coats that they match what you're wearing when you go out every day. Just an example. That <laughs> you should keep in mind as a possibility. That's totally normal. Totally fine. Totally not a sin. Nope. All right. <laughs> let's, let's jump on into chapter seven, which is sex. I found a lot of this chapter really interesting because it it was so pro-sex. Yeah. Which I guess I wasn't like 100% expecting. Mm. Yeah. She talks about like how to get an orgasm if you don't normally get orgasms, like different things you can do to uh, bring them about. She goes through, she categorizes the types of sex in a really interesting, relatable way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, here we go. Read the opening of the chapter because it's really funny. Yes. Isn't sex is like a big gray cat? Yes. But, yes, please continue. Sometimes I think sex is like a big gray cat. When you want it to come sit on your lap, it's just as likely to stalk off and go look for a plate of tender vittles. Then, later, when you're reading in bed or visiting with friends and couldn't care less, this arrogant, miserable feline will climb up on your stomach and start purring its head off. Murder! <laughs> that is that is my life, but just literally. <laughs> just Especially literally the a murder. Great the cat, cat that, does yeah. try to murder you. He does. <laughs> But I love him, just like makeup. Yeah. <laughs> I found I found the five different Feeling types of as sex. alive as an eel. That's another one. What? <laughs> alive as an eel? Is that a thing people say? I mean, I, eels are I, generally alive. You have to yeah. you have to agree with that. I don't know that I'd categorize them as more or less alive than anything else, or at least yeah. any other fish. Maybe they're yeah. like squirmy. Oh, I don't like thinking about eels. <laughs> I've learned that about myself. I don't like thinking about eels. Let's move on. <laughs> I found I found 
found the five different types of sex, which I did find kind of hashtag relatable. There's magic sex, which happens when you are falling in love. Intimate, comfortable sex with somebody you know well and adore. Friendly sex, you know and like them, but he they're not that special in your life. Casual sex, anything from a one-night stand to three weeks without a future. And scruffy sex with a newer old lover and you wish you hadn't. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you know. This is also a chapter where she talks about... Um, you might have sex with a homely man, and you might not like how he looks at first, but if you, like, focus positive thoughts on the homely man, he might become more attractive to you. And I I honestly thought it was, like, very a kind sentiment, but one that she would never <laughs> dare apply to her own body. And so I, I simultaneously I liked it and was bummed out. Uh, I think she thinks she's homely. Yeah, but she's specifically only talking about homely men. Like, I don't think that she would be able to look on her own homely body with that same... Oh, I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then, then of course, nobody is attracted to both sexes equally if somebody is so-called bisexual. Yeah. 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 That that didn't go over super well with my friends. (laughs) Yeah. Which, I I mean, again... Of course, that's a shitty thing to say. The shittiest thing is that people are still saying that now, though. Yeah. Yeah. In 1982, I mean, that still was shitty and, like, bi people were real in 1982. But I feel like it was at least somewhat progressive to admit that they maybe kind of exist. Yeah. Whereas now, a lot of people still, uh, you know, don't believe that you could actually be bi. And it's just sort of a a passing through phase. by people were real in 1896 you know or, but right. but, um, uh, but like there is there is something like she's trying to be non-judgy about bi people but the way she's doing it is erasing bi people you know like like the the paragraph is about like it's okay to have sex with people of the same gender or it's okay to have sex with both sexes but but like it's okay it's okay because you're not because you're not really no and you can't you can't really be so it's fine right exactly like like that's just normal experimentation it doesn't mean anything bad about you which is inherently awful yeah um but like hey you're trying i guess yeah. yeah this i think is the only time she specifically mentions bisexual people by name um yeah which again, again, and it's, this and puts it's, her ahead it, it, of yes. John Gray, PhD, who never, never would dare right. utter that word because it, because what planet are they from? Who knows? <laughs> Doesn't fit into <laughs> his cosmology. It's not even a planet. <laughs> oh God! Oh John Gray, why? Uh, Hashtag Pluto is a planet. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So this 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 sex chapter, I think, had some of kind of maybe the the best stuff and the worst. It was like real highs and lows. But a lot yeah. of lows. For now. For now, sensibility is a lot of lows. Yeah. But oh, wait, I'm reading uh, I'm reading the bisexual chapter or par- chapter paragraph again. And actually what she's saying is you're not bisexual, you're gay. And I don't know where that gets us. I'm just pointing it out. That's what she says. Anyway. Okay. Whatevs lady. Yep. So after sex, she starts talking about romantic love. Mm. 
which had a really great part about all the places. Got through sex. That is uh, shocking <laughs> to me. I'm flipping through slowly because uh, I want to see if anybody has uh, underlined anything, and I'm shocked that this chapter is has no annotations at all so far. I'm on page 187. Huh. Maybe they were afraid, like that it would be too revealing. Maybe even like if somebody else would find it, be like, oh no, they read the sex chapter, like what they underlined. Yeah. No, not one mark. Wow. Wow. That's crazy. Because well, it was all so important, you couldn't possibly decide on one single thing to highlight. Yeah, also. maybe that's it. <laughs> um, the, 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 the one that my friends and I had when we were in high school, that was the chapter, you know? <laughs> I just randomly opened up to the part on his beautiful penis, which really was hoping to not think about that again after the first time I read it. But, you know. I'm sorry. Eels. No. Eels. <laughs> <laughs> Cats. Wow. Let's think about cats. Jesus. <laughs> or the roller disco fading, Eels. but still a good place to meet a man. Really? I am I I do feel called out that she says you should meet a man at the library. I mean, not that I'm meeting men, but you know, for women, that that feels a little bit that feels a little bit like a call out. Yeah, the interesting thing too is she specifically says go to the library and flirt with the male librarians, which librarianship is like an eighty percent women uh, profession. Which that that shifted a little bit. I think there used to be more more man librarians, but still, you're most likely going to meet a lady librarian at the library. Yeah, and maybe she's DTF. As an alcoholic in recovery, I'm uh, uh, super disturbed by the mention of Alcoholics Anonymous as being a good place to meet somebody and says go as a visitor. Like, <laughs> this fucking predatory lady. <laughs> yeah, this whole list, this list is amazing. It is, here are some, here are some, some suggestions, some highlights from this list of places where you can meet men. Spectator sports events, art galleries, Tiffany's at Christmas, a big busy wine store, the roller disco, fading but still good, the supermarket on a Saturday or late at night, the Mercedes-Benz showroom, Mm -hmm. church, church choir, hospital volunteer, ski trips for singles, political campaign, walk a dog, take flying lessons. I feel like we could post this on some Tumblr with like, tag yourself, I'm church. That would be excellent. <laughs> yeah. Video game store is a curious addition to this list. Huh. You see that? Is that in your I'm version? Sure it's, it between, yep. it's under Country Bar and before Mercedes Benz Showroom. Oh, ouch. The park on weekends, divorced men will be there with their kids. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Well, and like why she says to go to Tiffany's at Christmas is because that's when men are buying expensive gifts for women. Yeah. Which, which she mentions many times that she's totally fine with having affairs with married men. So yeah, totally fine with it. Yep. I mean, and, and she and she's even like, well, sometimes you just have to. <laughs> so no, 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 you don't. You really don't. Here's a quote I pulled. 
Avoiding married men totally when you're single would be like passing up first aid in a Tijuana hospital when you're bleeding to death because you prefer an immaculate hospital some unreachable distance across the border. (laughs) It's just like that. Don't be picky. Come on. (laughs) You're dying. Just fuck him. (laughs) Um, And my favorite bit that I'm going to read later about shooting people with magic poison. Yeah. Um, and this, this has a lot of the advice that we were mentioning earlier about just, just compliment him, just compliment him so much. Yeah. Uh, and then, and it, it blends kind of into our next chapter, which is chapter nine marriage. Here's the, it's the things you cannot sooner or later go wrong saying to a man. You've had such a profound influence on my life. You've changed my life. You've taught me so much. And then it has elaborate. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, marriage. Let's see. What do I have scribbled all in this chapter? Oh, oh my God. Oh, my God. The marriage chapter is where she casually reveals that when her husband is sick, she makes him hot lemonade. Oh, right. Which, hot lemonade, a drink that we were first introduced to when we read The Cozy Mystery of the Christmas Caramel Murder, and we really thought that drinking hot lemonade was a sure sign that you were a murderer, because what the hell? (laughs) Uh, We went... You know, if if you didn't listen to the episode and you want to hear a whole lot about hot lemonade, I go back and find that one. Otherwise, I'll just say we made it as an experiment. It's terrible, but apparently Helen Gurley Brown's husband likes it when he's ill. Is it literally just hot lemonade? Well, it's kind of like a hot toddy, but with rum in it. Oh, um, okay. And with, without tea, which I know not everyone puts tea in a hot toddy, but like, yeah. It's like water, lemon juice, and okay. rum. I think she said she put bourbon in it, which technically is a hot toddy. Uh, But she called it hot lemonade specifically. Okay. Um, There's also the really disturbing uh, role-playing contributes to sensuousness. Nearly all love relationships have some, not deliberately assumed, but just there because of age and personality differences. Just as marriages have secret contracts, see chapter nine, in which husband wife agree unspokenly to behave in certain ways, lovers have their roles. I think the father-daughter relationship is one of the sexiest present in nearly every love affair in which he's at least 15 years older than you. Then there is somewhat worldly, wicked woman of the world, you, indoctrinating slightly inhibited man into the pleasures of the flesh. Sensational. Utterly alike in age, interests, ideals, like Donna and Marie Osmond, only not brother and sister, (laughs) has its delights. Like, what? Oh, that has its charms. Oh, my God. Oh, God. That I can't, I don't even know where to start. Here than the the father-daughter relationship. Truly. I mean, come on. Let's be real here. I gotta go stick my head in the garbage disposal now. It's fine. No, don't do that. Just put it in ice water for your skin. (laughs) I don't see how a single girl can survive without an occasional married man. It's it's impossible. That's why I'm a dead ghost now. Because I've never had sex with a married man. Many people, especially married women, feel married men are off limits totally. (laughs) Weird. Yeah, and she does mention 
what would I, like, what would I do if my husband cheated on me? Well, like, he wouldn't, because I fuck him so good. Mm-hmm. Well, I would be devastated, but live by the sword, et cetera, et cetera. If someone can lure him from me, she's a good woman, and I'll just have to deal with it. Yeah. I, I, I just, I can't, I don't even know what to say. Um, this is also when she gives some advice that, again, people are still giving all the time now, but it still is like, uh, where she basically is like, if your husband wants to have sex, just never say no. Just roll over and let him do it. What's the big deal? Yeah. Because otherwise he'll cheat on you with all these horny single ladies. Oh. But I did really like, one thing I did like is she talks about when you're mad at your husband, just bend a spoon so it touches to, like, really, I guess... She doesn't really spell this out. I guess it's, like, twofold. Like, it relieves some of your stress, and then it shows him how mad you are. You, like, show him the spoon. And she talks about being in a restaurant and being mad at her husband and just, like, ruining three spoons while staring at him. And I love it. (laughs) What a weirdo power play. (laughs) I love it. I did three teaspoons in a row, and by the third one... David was getting quietly apoplectic since he felt the ABC man at the next table could see me bending teaspoons. I'm sure he couldn't. And also, I was destroying hotel property. <laughs> so good. Oh, boy. I'm gonna, that's advice I am going to take. I'm going to use the spoon trick for now Whenever you're mad at a man, destroy a spoon. <laughs> sure. <laughs> You know, I have noticed every silverware drawer I've encountered always seems to have more forks than spoons. And I don't know what happened to the spoons, but maybe now I do know. All right. After marriage is friends, which, you know, let's lean into all this friendship advice, Renata. Okay. She does say she's not giving you as much friendship advice because... Here's another quote I'll read you. Girlfriends don't need explaining or piloting. They don't usually bring problems or traumas. They bring solutions and peace. The sweet, sunny, effortless, comforting world of women steeped in each other, in love, but not romantically. All right, well. There is, there's a part in there that made me think of this girl who was friends with me when I was working at the bookstore a million years ago. Who very, where uh, Helen is talking about how like friendship is reciprocal and like you trade off favors. And like this girl literally in her head kept a, a friendship ledger of everything she did for you and everything you did for her. And if you tried to be like, oh, like, do you want to come with me to my friend's show? She'd be like, well, you didn't come with me with me to my boyfriend's show last week, but I went with you to the mall to look for that dress. And, you know, that was, so you actually owe me one at this point. And it was like algebra every time you wanted to do something with her. We are no longer friends. That seems reasonable. Yeah. So, so, so that, so you don't, you don't keep a ledger? I'm, I, I, I'm kidding. <laughs> well, I just have like a sticker chart where I award my friends stickers when they do something good. Yeah, I have Can't a really a lot of stickers. like flower petal system. Oh, that's good. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, one thing I sincerely liked about this is she does say, you know, it's important to keep your friends, and you can't only rely on your husband. And some women, once they get married, they like only want to confide in their husband and talk to their husband and. 
you can't really do that. You need other friends. And I feel like, again, still to this day, there are some people who are like, oh, now I'm married and that's all I need is, like, just my husband. Yeah. No, no. You Need Your Girls is is actually wildly progressive still today. Yeah. Um, it's still yeah. fucking true. Um, I feel like now we've had more articles and books and stuff talking about how actually, like, female friendship can be complicated and, and maybe they're keeping elaborate friendship charts or whatever. Um, versus here, she's like, oh, yeah, you're, you'll just get along with your girlfriends, and that's great, because we're all girls. Um, but still, overall... Yeah, I no, like I mean, I, I, I guess I think what I the message I heard more often when I was growing up was that women were catty to each other. Yeah. Um, and, you know, female friendships weren't deeper lasting, and they should be secondary to... Um, the primary relationship that you have with a man, of course. Yeah, I mean, definitely, like, I feel like even still, if not up till recently, like, the dominant narrative in all media about female friendship is women are always in competition for things, even when you don't think... Man or a father figure, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, you know, even when there were stories where women did end up friends, it was because they realized that they didn't have to be in competition after being in competition for some length of time. And that was their whole arc. And, you know, as a person who has many awesome, strong friendships, that's always been a little depressing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it just doesn't reflect my experience either, you know? Like, yeah. yeah. The, the my best friend when I was 14 is I'm still really close to and her she's important in my life as are her children you know like yeah girl power girl friendships They're yeah important. yeah <laughs> um cool so the next chapter is chapter 11 ooh I see what she did there chapter 11 is money and uh oh. Oh, that's really funny. I didn't catch that. I, I don't know if it's intentional oh. or not, but it made me laugh when I said it out loud just now. <laughs> Chapter 11 is money. It seemed like fine advice. Uh, I don't understand the stock market still to this day. And uh, On page 319, can we acknowledge uh, uh, bitches live? <laughs> okay, thank you. That's all yes. I wanted. <laughs> Let bitches live. Let them do it. Yeah, the the money seems fine. I don't I don't know. I don't understand money. My main takeaway from the money chapter is that this is the second thing that I found very relatable is Helen Gurley Brown describes herself as a Sondheim freak and there's a whole thing in there about how she like splurged and bought this piano for her home because she had this dream that she would become friends with Sondheim and invite him over to one of her parties and he would play that very piano. And then okay. She does invite him to her party, and he won't play the piano. <laughs> but it was just sort of a tangent about how, like, you know, maybe you have, like, a goal that you save up for or whatever, and maybe it's not necessarily worth it, but but savings are important. That's so cute. I know. <laughs> yeah, that and the cat thing were the two things that made me like her the most, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, so that's all I have to say about money, is if you have a lot of it, maybe Sondheim will come to your house. Yeah. <laughs> I also like there's a story she tells in Money where she's like, I had a friend who's like really good with money and 
told me not to invest in, like, I don't know, something like IBM or something. So I didn't. And then it, like, took off and there was bazillions, made bazillions of dollars. But luckily my husband had invested. So sometimes smart people are wrong. <laughs> and that seemed to be the entire point of that anecdote. Yeah, also all of her money advice is, I know she herself came from, like, a fairly poor childhood and, like, worked her way up, but her advice is also sort of steeped in the privilege of, I'm married to a very rich and important Hollywood producer. Don't worry about it. There's a lot of David says, David says. Yeah. Also, she recommends this other book called Make Your Money Grow, which uh, was uh, was put out by Dell in 395 at the time. Um, And I suspect... No longer accurate. <laughs> Probably not. Um, all right, so that's, that's money. Um, and then the next chapter is our last chapter, having it all. Mm. And it's kind of a, a summation of, of, of everything else. And just some sort of closing thoughts about and, being and a mouse burger. getting all of the other name dropping in. Oh, yeah. Have you ever read uh, Diane... Vreeland's uh Diana Vreeland's uh DV no um I love this book it is a uh is she she from Vogue who's she's Vogue okay yes and she she was a very strange looking woman she sort of she she a a really very personal sense of style but she, she sort of looked like a monkey okay and she was an inveterate liar and name dropper and I fucking love her but it's it's it's, she tells these these anecdotes that like either don't go anywhere or like are patently untrue. <laughs> like it's amazing. I completely love this book. That sounds great. I I love a bonkers celebrity memoir personally. Yeah. Yeah. I was gonna say it reminds me of the Rob Lowe book that we read, where like everything was just like. And this was happening in my life. And then, like, I went to my girlfriend's house, and her dad was Cary Grant, and he gave me soap. Oh, yeah. And, like... Oh? <laughs> what, like, that's never happened to you? <laughs> I I am obsessed with that Cary Grant soap on a rope story. I don't even know why. It, like, is so insane to me. <laughs> and I love it. Yeah, so uh, so having it all, th- that is the chapter, the final chapter, as well as the title of this book. Mm-hmm. Uh, any anything else you want to say before we move on? She, you guys, she has the solution to depression. Therapy? Oh right, yeah, that's true. If only yeah. I had seen that before I spent all that oh, yeah. money on therapists and medication. Yeah, but I mean, to be fair, one of her solutions for depression is therapy. Yes. This solution for depression, actually, like, you could probably publish still, because it's, like, exercise and therapy, and make sure you, like, eat breakfast in the morning and, like, have a routine. I am just, uh, super amused by the heading, solution for depression. No, totally. But (laughs) once you get into it, I feel like that's not the worst advice. No. I mean... It's not the best advice, but it's still more or less, you could say a lot of it. It doesn't acknowledge all the other complexities, like, maybe therapy won't work for you, or maybe you need a different, like, whatever. But she does say it. She does say therapy. She does. She also says self-discipline. Yeah. Yes. But right after that, she says, I have never been able to think away a depression. Yes. All right. Um, Do we want to move on to our dramatic readings and give you all just sort of an unadulterated taste of Helen Gurley Brown? 
Let's do that. All right. So I'm going to read... I think I'm just going to do some excerpts because this is kind of long and kind of a lot to take in. But at the in the first chapter, there is a quiz to find out if you're a mouse burger. And it's just a bunch of statements and, and you decide true or false for yourself. And if you have at least um, 10 true out of 17, then you're a mouse burger. So, number one. Y- you might be a mouse burger if... You're smart. You may not be an intellectual or a scholar, but you are street smart. Like a little forest animal, you're quick and adaptable. You, in quotes, know things. You have what people call good common sense, and because it's so natural for you, you think everybody has it. Number two, technically smart people intimidate you, but you know in your way you are as, quote, smart as they are. Can I interrupt? I have a question. Mm -hmm. Are we taking the quiz? Do you want to? Maybe just mentally tally up as I read, and at the end we can say if we're mouse burgers. All right, great. Uh, You know you're as smart as they are. I I am skipping through some of these because they're kind of long. Uh, Number three, you're sensitive, intuitive, to the point of near craziness. You can tell instantly whether or not you are sinking into a man and whether other people are sinking into other people. When somebody is making a fool of himself, you suffer. Not so much because you are a warm, tender-hearted person, though you are, but because you can't help feeling what the other person is feeling. Number four... You get instant telephone vibes. About one sentence into a conversation and you know you have somebody on the other end of the phone who is an idiot and who will never be able to help you. Other people would figure this out in a few minutes, but you know it instantly. Five, while being intuitive, you are also impatient. Number six, you're modest. Though you don't deny you have a certain amount of charm and even talent, nobody is apt to hear it from you. You tend to downplay rather than stress your assets. Bragging would make you nervous. Seven, envy is not unknown to you. Put it this way, and everybody under 90 who isn't in jail, terminally diseased, or under indictment by the federal government, you can probably find something admiral they have and you haven't and wish you did. Number eight, you're more selfish than altruistic. Idealistic would not exactly describe you. You are not mad to move to India to push birth control or to Riyadh to hasten civil rights until you get something together for yourself. Number nine, you have a sweet natural sex drive that brings you enormous pleasure. Number ten, you're eccentric and not unproud of being, in quotes, different. Maybe you, these are very eccentric things, maybe you sleep in a Pittsburgh Steelers sweatshirt, do your vacuuming at 4 a.m., and eat salad with your fingers. You don't conform or want to conform to a peer group. It's not that you have your own cult following. God knows. You just don't want to be anybody's clones. Number 11, you can keep a lot of things going at once. You can cope with more than one job, one love affair, love affair plus marriage, if that's what you want, one close friendship, etc. Number 12, you have drive. Number 13, while being impatient, almost to the point of insanity about day-to-day trivia, you have patience for the long haul. You don't expect instant success. Number 14, you sometimes hurt. If you do not sometimes hurt, you are Gabby from All New Wolverine. And that is all. (laughs) Uh, 15, it's hard for you to be casual about anything. 
it doesn't matter. Not really. You keep muttering to yourself whether the job, the souffle, the weekend plans are falling apart. You ought to be more selective in your grief, but to you, everything matters. 16. Peculiar, to put it mildly, as you are, you can't think of anybody you'd rather be. Actually, you feel kind of extraordinary at times. Different from the others, yes, but somehow, well, don't laugh, better. You don't want to change skins, you just want to improve the skin you're in. Mousy as you are, on certain days you even feel a sense of power, probably based on having done something well. Then, after a brief-lived feeling of superiority, you are apt to slink back into your mouse cage and say, Who, me? Superior? I must be mad. No, you are not mad. You are a mouse burger, and it is quite a wonderful thing to be. Number 17. You want it all and are willing to pay the price. You want material blessings as well as deep emotional satisfaction. You want life to be rich and thick rather than thin and watery. But... And this separates you from the dreamers and rationalizers. You simply do not kid yourself that what you want is inexpensive, let alone free. You know the price for the kind of life you want is work, hard work. You know you can't hope yourself to a better life. You must take yourself there. Let's put it this way. Your basic Mouseburger qualities, brains, though you're not an intellectual, sensitivity, and youth are the cake mix. Add the hard work and you get cake. If you answer true to at least 10 of these 17 possibilities, I think you and I are alike. If you answer true to even five, I may be able to help you. Shall we begin? Yep, I'm a mouse burger. You know what I'm thinking about? Oh, yeah, I'm a mouse burger too. Is this is in some ways, if we were going to make like a, you know, an F4 axis diagram of the self-help books that we've read, I think this would be like the polar opposite of The Secret. And I do respect it for that. Yes, that is true. It would be probably, what, The Secret on that end, this on the other, Although Dianetics? Oh, boy. We'll we'll work on Dianetics. We did read Dianetics, and it was horrible. Way worse than this. It, it It was something else. It was... Yeah. yeah, don't do that. Don't do ever. that. Yeah, hey. so Dianetics, of course, is the Scientology book. The Secret was one of the first episodes we ever did, and that is the self-help book that just is, like, vision boarding and everything that you think about comes true, so don't bother to, like, do all this mouse burgering. Okay. <laughs> the Secret is you just have to think real hard? Literally, yeah. Yes, but not, don't think negative thoughts or even the word no, because if you say, I, if you think I don't want to get stuff in, stuck in traffic today, the universe doesn't understand variations of the word no, so it will think you want traffic and bring traffic to you. Oh my God. Wow. I've been doing it wrong. Yeah, we all have. Well, um, I scored a seven, so I'm not quite a mouse burger, but she could help me. For sure, yeah. Good. Whew. All right. Oh, gosh. Who's reading next? I'm going to read a little bit about clothes, which is actually, none of it is actually bad advice. It is just kind of ridiculous. And, you know, gets a couple jabs in at fat people in there. Mm. Fashion mavens all say we need an image. But I don't think you necessarily start out thinking nymphette, earth mother, ice maiden, street urchin, Faye Dunaway in network, or Scarlett O'Hara. 
As you experiment the way Carrie Donovan was talking about, you just inexorably gravitate to a kind of look that pleases you. An image. And so you begin to choose frilly over tweeds, somber over gaudy, or the other way around. Looking around Cosmo, I see all kinds of images. French schoolgirl, sassy kid look, department store proper. And I'm certain the owner's just osmosed there. I don't know what that word is supposed to mean. I hope you osmos to a good image. A soccer shirt and dungarees seem so sexless to me, but whatever makes you happy. You can actually wear almost anything unless you're fat, but some lines work better than others with your special bones. Hmm. We haven't room to say what to team up with a large bosom, you fortunate person. Narrow shoulders, wide hips, short legs or whatever, but you probably already know. I think rather than compensating for figure flaws, you pick the things that please you, and usually they are the ones that compensate for flaws. Once in a while, a designer will create something that works for all of us. That great Diane von Furstenberg wrap dress, Emilio Pucci's little ampere waisted, no fit from the bosom down skimp dresses in gorgeous colors. I saved my favorite Pucci to be buried in. <laughs> You just automatically get to be an expert by looking at yourself in your clothes. So yeah, not necessarily bad advice. Just unless you're fat. Unless you're fat, just don't do any of those things. I guess wear a sack. Just yeah, a sack should fit. I am. Uh, I'm kind of reeling too from having something picked out to be buried in. Yeah. Like wow, I. Are we supposed to do that? <laughs> I mean, sometimes I say things like bury me in my skeleton onesie, but it's usually just because I like hyperbole. Yeah. I mean, I, I kind of feel like it's not my problem at that point. But Yeah, right? <sighs> I did just tweet about what I wanted on my gravestone earlier today, so I guess I can't throw any shade here. What do you want on your gravestone? Well, specifically, <laughs> I was quoting an article that identified me as like, a teen librarian who went on an awkward ghost hunt but didn't use my name. But I feel like that is exactly what people need to know about me only. <laughs> You're I not wrong. Love happens when two people shoot each other with magic poison or one person shoots the other. Why does it have to be him, that one? Because those thousands of other men, just as good, possibly better than he, haven't been injected with your poison. Everybody has a supply, and we inject each other. A man who is gaga about a woman has given her a big injection. When a man looks like Pinocchio, but to you he's Placido Domingo, he's had an injection. What I'm saying is that Cupid doesn't do it with bows and arrows. You do it with this sweet, efficient poison. In the best of worlds, we're mutually poisoned, but we can't shoot ourselves. Your supply of magic poison is only to shoot other people. Some shoot many times. Uh, these, oh my god. Sorry. Some shoot many times. <laughs> you can get refills. Others use up their original supply, if that, and die with most of their magic poison still in its little vial. Aww. The cost for refills gets a bit high, especially for men who marry each poisoned lady and have to pay off 
the old one in cash or other hard goods. But for women, too, shooting frequently is costly because falling in love and subsequently out of love is quite an emotional drain. Most of us, especially when young, get shot once or twice by somebody. Rich, famous, powerful men get shot continuously until they die. And some, Mickey Rooney, Rex Harrison, Richard Burton, Alan J. Lerner, do continuous shooting of their own all their lives. Some women only shoot men over their head, over their head, a movie star, a rock musician, or a man, possibly homosexual, who never <laughs> shoots back. It's called hiding out, picking a totally ungettable type so you can't actually become involved but the shooting is all involuntary can't be consciously planned if you pick a victim because you think he might be good for you suitable but for whom you feel no attraction the magic won't take many of us keep shooting the same type of man over and over however my friend diane shoots only baby boys they're so cute, she said in this interview magazine. My Southern Belle friend, Linda Ray, likes only Oriental men. Oriental men, guys, like a carpet. Um, yeah, Oriental men, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Falconer's choice. I don't even know what that means, but I'm pretty sure it's really racist. Um, I remember wondering what Falconer's choice was also. Yeah, I'm, I'm going with racist. Like, massively racist. racist. Uh, that's that's my bet. Like I put like fifty dollars on wildly, wildly racist. Um, God knows you don't always shoot the most suitable victim. Later you find he has a soft, white, cruddy underbelly. Ew. But while full of your poison, he is Superman. Uh huh. I don't know what these words mean. <laughs> it's weird. Who says this? <laughs> No offense, guys, but straight people are wild. <laughs> I was born this way, Kate. I'm sorry. Uh, Falconer's oh. Choice, I googled it in quotes, and it's not really coming up with anything. So it might not be a thing. It might just be like like a mouse burger. Just like her weird thing? Yeah. I'm only on page one of Google results, but they're mostly about... Ian Falconer, the author of Olivia, and I don't think that's what she means. I was about to say, I just put it in, and the related searches are new Olivia book, Olivia children's book, Olivia the pig, Olivia the pig website, children's book about a girl pig. Maybe she yeah, just really likes Olivia. I don't know what the fuck she's talking about. <laughs> this whole thing is so weird. Uh, I'm going to finish it up, though. We yeah. can't see what other people see in their victims, of course, because we haven't shot them with anything. And friends haven't used any of their magic on our beloved. So they wonder seriously about our choice. One of the blessings of shooting many different men is that each enhances your life in his own way, moves you into his world, which was like some of the most disturbing uh, advice my mom gave me when I was growing up, um, like I was going through this thing where I was trying, I, I had been seeing two different guys and it was kind of like a thing where I, I needed to decide, uh, cause it was bordering on uncool. Mm. And, uh, and my mom, uh, was discouraging me from making a choice because like, why limit your options? Mm. Uh, and and she, it's yeah. a real falconer's choice question mark yeah yeah <laughs> uh, but, uh, she said to 
me, she said to me like in this really earnest way, as though this was something that people like, you know, embroidered on pillows. She's like, Cal, let each man do what he can. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah. so I was like, okay, I think that's fucked up, mama. <laughs> um, anyway. All right. I can't imagine poisoning only one man in a lifetime. And I really just want to stop there. I just want, I want that taken out of context. I can't imagine poisoning only one man in a lifetime, dot, 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 Helen Gurley Brown, um, or receiving only one injection yourself. People who are too careful, who conscientiously hunt and hunt and hunt and hunt for one perfect prospect, surely misses a lot of living. What they tell you is true. The only regrets you have later are for what you didn't do. Shoot away. <laughs> okay, that's not been my experience of regret, by the way, but okay. <laughs> oh, well, you should write an advice book. Maybe. <laughs> I'd read Maybe it. Maybe I shall. <laughs> All right. So, so that's a great taste of what this book is like. You probably don't need to read more of it. Nope. Um, but I think... I think you should all read it. <laughs> well, that segues so nicely into uh, Would You Rather, because I'm going to ask, would you rather read Helen Gurley Brown's uh, first book, Sex and the Single Girl, or just a full stack of Cosmo magazines cover to cover? Ooh, that's hard. First question. When are the Cosmo magazines from? Are they from today? Or are they from the 80s? Or are they from, like... It's, it's a real Falconer's Cosmo- Choice assortment. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna. I would read. I would read Sex and the Single Girl. Uh, I'm gonna read the magazines because I think from this, what I learned is that like the the pictures and the uh, you know embarrassing stories section and all that, all the sort of like filler fluff parts of the magazines are really important to my magazine reading experience, and so I want all of that put back in, please. I find that to be filler. Yeah, it is. <laughs> I- <laughs> I'm going to read the book because frequently in those magazines, they have those perfume free samples. Mm. And mm. then I would just be sick all day. Mm. So but the book probably will just smell like book. That's a great point. Um, all right. Well, how about uh, in the style of the podcast by the book, would you rather spend two weeks living by following all the advice of having it all or spend two weeks living by all the advice of men are from Mars, women are from Venus, which Kelly, so you probably haven't read, but you can probably imagine what it's like. like probably whatever you think it's like is what it's like. Oh, I think that I would rather live through the advice of having it all because as outdated as some of it is and as bizarre as some of it is, it is less inherently sexist and weird than men are from Mars, women are from Venus. That's totally true, but I'm going to live by Men Are From Mars because that book doesn't have any chapters about dieting advice. You can eat whatever you want on the Venus plan. Mm. All right. Um, I already have a weird diet, so so I'm going to go with Helen. All right. Uh, well, speaking of weird diet plans, last up, would you rather follow Helen Gurley Brown's diet plan, as outlined in this book, 
Or eat at Steaks and Cakes, which is, of course, the restaurant that appears in Christian Mingle the movie that only serves steaks and whole cakes. <laughs> all you can get there. Uh, oh, steaks and Cakes. Where is this restaurant? I will go there now. <laughs> I know. Same. And I would love to tell you where to go to, but it only exists within this uh, Hallmark Channel movie, as far <sighs> as we know. I, of course, would also go to Steaks and Cakes. Um, Sometimes you just need to eat an entire giant platter of steaks, followed by a full cake. And, you know, as they are the current sponsors of the show, uh, I feel a lot of loyalty to them. Absolutely. Give me that cake. I don't eat sugar, but I'm down for steaks. All the steaks. Oh, see, Kelly, so we could split. Yeah, we could split a meal. Because I'm vegetarian, but I'll eat a cake. Oh, here we go. It's perfect. Uh, we have to be cute. Yes. <laughs> that should be a service. They, that should be listed as a, as a place to meet a man. Is it Steaks and Cakes? <laughs> uh, I mean, it's a meet cute M-E-A-T. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. <laughs> uh, I love it. Okay. You can hang up on me if you want. No, (laughs) no, you have to stay. That was too good. Uh, All right. Well, that's how you play Would You Rather. And now we'll move on to Reader's Advisory, where we'll suggest some stuff to read instead of or in addition to having it all. First off, uh, we just want to say Bitch Planet, which you probably know what that is because we've recommended it before. But it's, uh, it's what happens if you took this and put it in a blender with like space and feminism and such and it's better than this and it's by Kelly C. DeConnick (laughs) (laughs) and Valentine Delandro thank you I'm gonna recommend I mean you know in the the history of this show have I ever recommended things that were actually on topic Uh, so every time I've picked up this book to read it in the past couple of weeks, I've gotten this song from Tick, Tick, Boom stuck in my head. So you should listen to Tick, Tick, Boom because wow. it's a good show. I really thought and... you were going to say Great Comet. <laughs> well, also, you should always listen to Great Comet. <laughs> I'm sure by now you have memorized Great Comet because you've listened to it every single time. I've recommended it for the past five years. <laughs> but listen to Great Comet also. And uh, Company because we were talking about Sondheim. So yeah. those are some things that you should listen to with your ears. Because Helen Gurley Brown's a Sondheim freak, and me too. Yeah, have Same. you read um, his Hat Trilogy? I haven't actually read it, but it's sort of on my list to do. Okay, I don't know if I'm supposed to recommend anything. Absolutely you are. That? I'm going to recommend the Hat Trilogy. Awesome. Um, I'm going to recommend uh, Sex from Scratch by Sarah Merck, who uh, is great. And uh, it, this is like a, a modern guide to dating and romance that is very queer accepting, uh, very poly accepting, very everything. Check it out. That was on my list too. High five. Also, uh, I mentioned before uh, Bygone Badass Broads by Mackenzie Lee, friend mm-hmm. of the show. And Bad Feminist by Roxane Gay, which we've recommended on the show multiple times in the past, is a great collection of essays 
and you should probably just read everything Roxane Gay has ever written. Totally. Well, and she also, Bad Feminist, like, she mentions the kind of, like, guilty pleasure feeling of reading a Cosmopolitan magazine that, uh, you know, I, I mentioned before, like, I definitely think it's fun to read a Cosmo occasionally, even though there are some still somewhat toxic messages within those pages, but also some fun ones. Um, one book I haven't read, but I'm interested to read it now that I've I've read this and I've read some articles. Um, it's called Enter Helen by Brooke Hauser, and it is a biography of Helen Gurley Brown and just kind of a look back at her as a feminist and at the you know progress that has been made and that that anecdote I told earlier about Gloria Steinem identifying as a mouse burger came from an interview with Brooke Hauser where she's sort of summarizing her book findings for Vogue magazine. So I'll link to that article. And, I don't know, I'm, I'll check out the book sometime, probably. I'm going to wrap up mine with, and there'll be more of these on the website, Here We Are, Feminism for the Real World, which is an essay collection edited by a friend of the show, Kelly Jensen, and uh, is a lot of really interesting, diverse essays on the topic of what feminism is like now. Yeah. Um, Kelly, Sue, anything else you want to shout out here? Yeah, I do actually have one I'll recommend. What Does It Mean to Be White uh, by Robin DiAngelo? Um, it's stupidly expensive because it's one of those fucking academic books. Mm-hmm. Um, but Get it from the library, y'all. There you go. It's uh, subtitled Developing White Racial Literacy. Um, I went to a workshop that she did, and she was incredible, I believe she is the the one credited with um, r- really naming um, white fragility. Mm, okay. And talking about how we have to have we have to own our our identity um, as white folks um, in in order to counteract the idea that 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 white is like some kind of default absence of race um, mm-hmm. uh, and to um, and to take responsibility for. Uh, for our privilege and and the racial injustices, um, that's re- it's really cool. I like her a lot. Awesome, yeah, that sounds good. And I will make a quick note here that uh, that's another thing we didn't even dive into. Is I feel like Helen Gurley Brown definitely is assuming a white readership. Uh, oh, totally. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, definitely. And and also we are all white, and that we didn't even unpack anything related to that. But you. Somebody else should. I'd read that paper. Yeah. Um, all right. So, yeah, we'll have all of those recommendations and some other ones we didn't have time to mention specifically up on our website, worstbestsellers.com. So you can check that out under Reader's Advisory. And now we'll move on to our candy pairing, where just like the kinds of expensive restaurants Helen Gurley Brown does not eat at but sits at a table at, we'll suggest a wine <laughs> pairing to go with your meal. We'll suggest a candy pairing to go with this book. My candy pairing is just straight up a packet of Equal, which Helen shouts out as being a great new innovation at the time that this was written. And I I don't think she would put it on anything. I think she would probably just like snort a packet of Equal. (laughs) I think that's that's really accurate. Uh, My candy pairing is hot lemonade because as we have discovered, it's something that you're skeptical about going into the experience and it really only confirms your suspicions that it is not for you once you dive in. 
I'm going to go with monk fruit because uh, it's uh, some crazy sweetener that doesn't affect your uh, insulin cycle. And I feel like she'd be into that. I feel like you're (laughs) right. (laughs) All right, cool. Now it is time for our favorite game, the rock, paper, snicked, where Kate will say who Dwayne the Rock Johnson would be if he weren't in this book. And I'll say who Wolverine would be if he were in this book, which is deeply stressful because Kelly Sue has actually written actual Wolverine for actual Marvel. And it's fine. I'm going to be fine. Anyway, then Kelly Sue. (laughs) (laughs) Then Kelly Sue will pick which of these most enhances the book or can choose paper, which is to just leave the book as is. If Dwayne the Rock Johnson were in this book, it would instead, of course, be the Rock's life advice book. So it would mostly be cod recipes and stories about loving yourself and giving back to the community. And, of course, several chapters of advice on how to woo Wolverine. Uh, It would sell 8 billion copies. That's all very specific advice that I need. I should also mention, by the way, this game usually makes more sense when we do fiction books that have a narrative plot, and then we can insert them as characters (laughs) into that plot. But we're still playing this game. We're we're still having fun. Uh, So if Wolverine (laughs) were in this book, I think uh, just he would use his claws to straight up shred all the food and exercise chapters and then just replace it with like a handwritten recipe for rare steak and then the advice to sign up for martial arts classes and drink as much beer as you want afterwards would be Wolverine's food and exercise advice. Wow. Well, since I... I actually uh, uh, have downloaded uh, the Rock Clock. Me too. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> I would, I would definitely buy the Rock's life advice book, and 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 I would maybe try to live by it because uh, I do actually like cod. So that's cool. Yeah, I don't know if you know this. The Rock <laughs> has said that he eats cod for like every meal. Um, yeah. Like pounds and pounds of it. And so he doesn't have to like it very much, I think. He right? does not. He just is yeah. very committed to being swole. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I respect that, man. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I would I would buy Dwayne Dwayne the Rock the Rock's book. I'm sorry. No, that's that's perfectly reasonable. Um I okay. do, there are no losers in rock paper snacks. Right. Um and I do think then you <laughs> should read that and then let it sort of simmer in your mind and see if you can figure out a way to get the rock uh, officially entered into the Marvel universe as just a character. Cause that's all that we want. Well, we want that. And for him to be in a, in a loving committed relationship with Wolverine. So anything that's you very can, important to yeah. us. <laughs> okay. Just putting that out there just on all my right. vision board. Okay. I, I haven't, I haven't worked at Marvel in three years, but I'll see what I can do. I know, but I'm, sh- you know, you definitely have more connections there than we do. Regardless, oh, I know people. Like, I totally know people. Yeah, just I'll pass like, it on. Hey, I have a thing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. Thank you. We appreciate that, <laughs> and we will. <laughs> we'll move on to uh, what do you guys think the moral of the story is? I would say the moral of the story is. Don't be afraid to live your life the way you want, as long as you're conventionally attractive, thin, rich, heterosexual, and willing to structure your life around getting a man. Yeah. And white. Mm-hmm. White, too, yes. And cis. Uh, yep. I'm going to go uh, uh, with patriarchy hurts everyone. Mm. Succinct yep. and so true. Yeah. 
My moral of the story is mouse burgers and hot lemonade are two weird tastes that taste terrible together. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, you're not wrong. No. (laughs) Feel pretty good about it. Uh, My other moral of the story is don't think about eels. Uh, and now it's now it's time for Duarte's Corner, where, of course, my cat Duarte will give his opinions on the book. No, you're you're right, Duarte. I, I don't think that a mouse burger, I don't think she means like a mouse sandwich, but I totally understand that that's what you would like. And your definition of having it all would just be like a plate of mouse burgers. And I respect that. And I, you know, I feel for you. I understand that you thought it was going to be a cookbook after you started it, and it wasn't. And you were just totally, you know, taken out of the moment. And then when you got to the diet chapter, it was not relevant to your interests. But, wait, wait, but you know, like that tuna fish salad recipe. You know, you're right. He probably would like the tuna fish. Yeah. But not as much as a mouse burger, let's be real. No, no. Yeah. You're right. You're right, man. You're right. I'm not going to argue with that. I'm not going to tell a cat what he wants to eat. Mm-hmm. Oh, 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 you guys, I just opened to the tuna salad recipe and um, um, and the pencil reader um, has underlined most of us lifetime dieters have given up desserts, bread, butter, pasta, and they've written in the um, they've written in the margin. Ugh. Yeah. Aww, it's baby. OK. Go to steaks and cakes, person. Just yeah. go have a cake or a steak. Put butter on or it. Both. Mm hmm. <laughs> all right well Duarte, uh thanks for thanks for reading this sorry about the lack of mouse burgers for you in your food dish right now we'll see what we can do about it all right do any humans have any closing thoughts apparently oh, while we were um while we were on this uh my daughter has a, a a chair that is a swing in her room um that's that like hangs from the ceiling and uh i don't i don't know if you did you hear the crying in the background oh no no, her her swing fell out of her ceiling, Aww. and she. Oh, yeah. I, I so. assume she's okay, though. Like she's she is okay. I mean, she's okay. <laughs> like I a... assume you don't need to go to the hospital right now, or like you would have stopped <laughs> yeah. the recording for that. Okay. <laughs> well, I hope her swing can get fixed because those are fun. I think I'm gonna buy her a stand for it, so that can't happen again. Oh, smart. Probably smart. You can yeah. have it all. You can have a swing right, right, and man, a that's bed. What that's what know. we're teaching her. And she's never allowed to read this book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, get it out of the house after this. <laughs> All right, ladies. Yeah, well, thank you so much for joining us, Kelly Sue. We appreciated your input as well as we appreciate all the books that you've read over the years. have been great for us to read just for, for fun. Aww. Yes. Okay. Much better than this book. I mean, most books are, but. <laughs> Extremely better. Yes. Still. Yeah, if you're listening to this, you've never read anything by Kelly Sue. I mean, surely now you're like, I got to put this podcast down right now and go get these books. What am I doing with my life? That's If they want to do that, where can they find you on the internet, Kelly Sue? You can find me on the internet at milkfed.us, M-I-L-K-F-E-D dot U-S. Um, and we have the latest announcements up on the main page there and there should be I think some coming in the next couple of days and then you can find me on Twitter at Kelly Sue at K-E-L-L-Y-S-U-E and on Instagram at Kelly Sue D K-E-L-L-Y-S-U-E-D 
don't follow the other Kelly Sue. No, I mean, I'm sure she's lovely. I'm sure she's lovely. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, if you want to follow me personally on Twitter, I'm at Renata Snacks. And if you want to follow me personally on Twitter, I'm at 14 across. And if you want to follow Worst Bestsellers as a concept on Twitter, um, we're Worst Bestseller with no S because uh, the S just really made us look fat. And so we took it off. <laughs> We're also on Facebook, Worst Bestsellers Spelled the Normal Way, and our website is worstbestsellers.com, and it's got links to all the other Worst Bestsellers things that you could ever want to find. You can also subscribe to us on Stitcher, iTunes, and Google Play. And if you do subscribe to us, please take a moment to rate and review us. When you rate and review, it pushes our podcast up on the charts and makes it easier for people to find us. Uh, If you don't rate and review us, we're never going to give you any advice to, like, stop being a mouse burger and be a better member of society. And I know that you'll feel wanting after that. You'll be a nothing burger. (laughs) You can also uh, subscribe to us on Patreon at patreon.com slash worstbestsellers. Uh, If you're unfamiliar with Patreon, you can pledge a small monthly recurring donation that goes to support the podcast so we can do things like pay our editor and buy new equipment. And our Patreon subscribers get perks and a newsletter and all sorts of cool things. Yeah. You can also find our new merch shop at redbubble.com slash people slash worst bestseller with no S. Uh, We've got some rock, paper, snicked stuff up there, some stuff with our logo, uh, some stuff for steaks and cakes. And uh, if you have any ideas of other things you'd like to see, just let us know. You can get a onesie for your baby that says don't imprint on me. That's important. It's important safety gear for all your babies to wear. (laughs) All right. Uh, We should be back at you in two weeks with A Princess in Theory by Alyssa Cole, which is going to be our little tribute to the royal wedding. Which honestly feels kind of Helly, Helen Gurley Brown. Like, I feel like Cosmo would approve of this somehow. Mm, yeah. That's fine. Agreed. It's all connected. It's all, it's all coming together. All right. Uh, Kelly <laughs> Sue, thanks again for joining us. Thanks to everyone for we listening. Super appreciate it. Yes. Bye. Bye. Bye, ladies. Bye.